So turn with me today to the book of James, and we'll continue in James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And as we continue our discussion, um, you know, we make a distinction in our society between different levels of guilt and accountability and, and culpability. And so the right, the easiest example of this for us to probably understand is that of murder, right? We make distinctions in our society uh, about different levels of murder. We, we do make a distinction between the person who has a willful premeditation, right? Planning out of someone's murder and between the person who accidentally kills someone. Right, so maybe it's a, a matter of they they didn't intend to kill that person, but it happened, and we might attribute to them some crime if there was great negligence involved. Right, if you're texting on your phone and you get into an accident, and kill someone else, you'll probably be uh, you you may be charged with manslaughter because you know that you're not supposed to text on your phone. There, there it's a crime to do so when you're driving. It's a dangerous thing to do, and so. Uh, even in that, right, there might be culpability to your action. Um, but again, we, we make distinctions. Uh, the person who has an over, uh, an emotional overreaction, uh, you know, a, a great flash of anger, we may not charge uh, the same way as someone who, again, plans it out, premeditates it, uh, purposes the death of someone else. And it makes good sense to do this, right? Because there is a difference between an accident and an intentional act of hate. Uh, Indeed, in the law of Moses, God made such distinctions. Where do we get our distinctions from? Uh, I would say that it probably stems right from what God himself spoke uh, in the law of Moses. Uh, We know that in the law, uh, God establishes cities of refuge. These were places that people could run to, could go to, and live in for a a certain period of time uh, if they were Uh, If they had accidentally done something like an accidental uh, murder and they were worried or concerned that someone might take vengeance out upon them uh, for the blood that they shed. Uh, God says, for instance, in Numbers 35, 20 to 24, we kind of see this. Numbers 35, 20 to 24, he says, and if and if he pushed him, uh, that is the person who commits this this action right and if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him lying in wait so that he died or an enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died and then he he who struck the blow shall be put to death he is a murderer right that's a that's a distinction the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him but if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything uh or on him without lying in wait or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. Right? So God makes a distinction. He says, uh, there, so take that example of dropping a stone. Right? One may be, I know that this person's going to come come round, he comes around the same time every day, and I'm going to get this big boulder, and I'm going to push it off this cliff, and I'm going to kill him, right? There's a difference between that and I need to clear this big boulder out of my field, I'm going to push it over the cliff, 
right? The, the same result happens. Someone dies at the, at the end of it, uh, but the intention behind it is very different, right? And God says that that matters, that, that we make a distinction between that. But while we may make a distinction between uh, murder and an accidental killing, we cannot make a distinction between sin and sin. Uh, this is to say that sin is sin. Sin is never not sin. Right? So when we commit a sin, we are sinning. And we cannot abrogate that. We cannot lessen it. We cannot, uh, we cannot unmake that a sin. Um, which is a lot of poor grammar right there, what I just said. So sorry about that. We can't unmake it. Sin. Uh, as we see in our passage today, to sin in one way, is to really break the law of God entirely. For there is one lawgiver, and he gives all the law. So our passage today continues on from the prior, uh, from what we see in verses 1 through 7. So we'll actually go ahead and read verses 1 all the way down through 13, because I want us to kind of see the context again. Uh, But as we continue our discussion, we're we're continuing on this issue of the sin of partiality or the sin of showing favoritism. And I want us to see today in our passage that we are to walk in obedience to the law of liberty. We are to walk in obedience to the law of liberty. And so let us read the scripture out of the book of James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? And if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is the word of the Lord. As I said, our our passage today is verses 8 through 13. And in this passage, uh, he is continuing this discussion about partiality, the sin of partiality. And so again, just so that we understand that. To the sin of partiality, the sin of favoritism, or the sin of being a respecter of person, as it says in the King James, is to give someone priority, prominence, or position, and in our context, specifically within the church of God, because of some external attribute. They have some kind of outward appearance that uh, predisposes us 
to give them prominence. The immediate example that James gives in verses 1 through 7, right, is rich man and a poor man. A guy who looks like a million bucks and a homeless person. Someone who looks like a homeless person. Right? Both seem to be believers. Uh, Both are in the congregational assembly of the saints. And one is treated with respect and honor. And the other is not. Right? The other is said, we don't really have room for you. Figure out a space, but it's not going to be here. And this is utter foolishness. Uh, James says, right, because it doesn't account for how God chooses uh, his his election, uh, his electing purposes in the world. The poor uh, being certainly considered more by God than the rich. It fails to consider the reality of the rich in James's day, which is that they were often the ones who were oppressing and who were going out of their way to uh, to harm those who had not. And not only that, he says, but they actually even blaspheme the the honorable name by which you're called. They belittle Christ, and you would give them prominence and priority in the church. And the sin of partiality is not only relegated to the dynamic of rich and poor in the congregation. Any partiality, any judgments that we make about the worth of a person and the what we give unto them, right? What we under, render unto them in honor and respect and position, prominence, uh, any partiality because of their social status, gender, ethnicity, skin color, means that we have failed to love as God loves. We have sinned. And such sin has consequences far beyond what we may think. And so let's begin unpacking our passage today, and we'll start in verse 8 and see the law, the law in verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. All right, James, he's continuing here again, explaining why the sin of partiality is so evil. And he turns to this reason of the law of the love of our neighbor. And so he says, uh, however, or but, or if you really, right? What? If you really fulfill the royal law. And this is one of the things that we have to deal with a number of times as we go through uh, the book of James, the letter of James, is uh, he adds these kind of adjectives or qualifiers to this word law. And we have to understand what he means by that. Because we can get this idea of James, right, that, uh, and, and he does have very, uh, Jewish overtones, right? He, he is a, a Jewish person. Uh, he, he seems to have had a very strict observance of the law. And if we know anything about, uh, his parents, right, Mary and Joseph, they had pretty strict observance of the law. Go back and read, uh, for instance, in the book of Luke, and we find that they were very particular about their observance of the necessary sacrifices and feasts. Uh, that's how they end up in Jerusalem and leaving Jesus behind, and he's in the temple, right? Because they're there on a feast. Um, that's a bit of an aside, but we, we have to understand uh, it, we could view James as advocating for observance of the Torah, the Jewish law. And if we believe that this is what James is talking about, we run into great problem 
because everything we read of Paul, right? Every if we know what Paul says, if we go to the book of Romans, for instance, and read about the gospel of Christ Jesus, we come to find we don't obey the law. We're set free from the law. We're dead to the law when we're alive in Christ. And so we might get our get a, in in our mind and especially as we come to the passage after this one, that Paul and James are at odds with one another, and that what James advocates is a is a observance of the law that is contrary to the gospel of Christ. And so then we would have to question, what is James doing leading the church in Jerusalem, as we know he does right out, out of Acts 15, What is he doing leading the church in Jerusalem? What is he doing writing to the churches? And why in the world is the letter of James in our, in our Bibles today? Right. So if we believe that about what he says about the law, but notice he adds qualifiers. And in this sense, he adds the qualifier. This time he adds the qualifier of royal. And also in passage, we see he has a qualifier, the law of liberty. So when we see this word law, we have to understand it's not exactly the law of Moses, right? There, there's something different here. There's something distinct here. The term royal seems to clue us in that this is sovereign, our, our sovereign's law, the king's law, the law of the kingdom. And of course, we have to ask which kingdom? Uh, Mark gospel gets right to the mission of Jesus in Mark 1, 14 to 15. Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now after John, that is John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So when we talk about the royal law, which kingdom? We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about not the law of Moses. James is not so much concerned with the law of Moses, but the law as interpreted and understood through the lens of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the law then, when we're talking about the royal law, we're talking about the law that we understand through Jesus. So, I'm going to belabor this point a little bit more. Because again, if we get in our head that James is advocating for observance of the Jewish law, we're in trouble. If we interpret these references to the Jewish law, we're in trouble. If we're only thinking that James is saying, follow the law of Moses, we're in trouble. Because then he becomes a Judaizer, which Paul uh, vehemently opposes. And also, it wouldn't make much sense in the context of Acts 15, uh, where James makes a conclusion about the Judaizers. But again, just so that we understand what is at stake, Galatians 1, 9 says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So, right, what's at stake is the nature of the gospel, the nature of salvation. We have to get this right. But it is James himself who confesses, we read that in James 2, 1, uh, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Right? 
James knows that in Christ Jesus, the law is modified. It's changed. Uh, It becomes, as he says later in verse 12, it becomes a law of liberty. It's the royal law because it's given by the king. And who is the king? Jesus. There you go. Sunday school answer time. That was a softball one for you. Right. And yes, in case we, uh, right, it may make us uh, raise our hackles, as they say. It may make us uncomfortable, but God's kingdom has laws. God's kingdom has laws. Uh, here we have one of the two great commandments, right? In, in our passage, in our verse here, verse 8, uh, the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is something we see in the Old Testament. Certainly it's something we see in the New Testament. We have this example in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and asks, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, That is Jesus. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And what Jesus says there at the end, right, is if you wanted to summarize all the law and the prophets, it's these two commands. Love God and love people. Love your neighbor. Love God with all that you are, right? That's what that means by heart, soul, and mind. Everything that you are, all that is within you, love God. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And we know Jesus answers the question, too, of the one who asked them, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Everybody we come across. So Jesus says, Uh, These are the two great commandments, and they underpin all the rest of the laws. If you want to understand the Ten Commandments, understand these two great commandments. Love God, love neighbor. They form the basis of the rule of obedience for us as Christians as well. This is the royal law. These two great commandments are the royal law. And understand that when we talk about obedience as Christians, when we talk about following commands or following these laws, we are not talking about this onerous task to secure our salvation. We are saved because of Christ's work. We are saved because Christ was and is obedient and faithful and righteous. Christ's righteousness is what becomes our righteousness. Right, that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. But if we are saved, listen, again, listen closely, carefully here. If we are saved, we will be obedient to the word of God. We will seek to be obedient to the commands of God. We will seek to fulfill the royal law. We will seek to love our neighbor as ourselves. And again, this is fundamental to the book of James, right? This is why he is instructing believers, because there is this thread in James's day that suggests that you can be a Christian and do whatever you want and not have any care or concern about obedience to God. Let me just say, that's a thread we still see today. 
There is nothing new under the sun. There is this thread within modern Christianity, modern American Christianity. There is this thread that is believed by people in the community around us who on the day of judgment will stand before God and Christ Jesus will say, depart from me because they believed the lie that they could live whatever they wanted to live. They could engage in the sins that they wanted to sin. They could not love uh, and just go on life. But they had their little token Jesus profession, but they shook a preacher's hand and were baptized but they wear a cross necklace, and so that makes it all okay. Right? As in James's day, so it is in our day. This is fundamental here, right? And it's fundamental to the whole of the New Testament. We must understand this. Salvation does not give us license to sin. I referenced this verse last week, and I'll do it again because I, I want us to make sure that we get here and now, uh, especially as we enter into the question of faith and works. Uh, I want us to understand now that James and Paul are not at odds with one another. In, in fact, they, they agree with one another. They say things differently, but they agree. Uh, Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says, Galatians 5, 13 through 14, For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Listen to this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that interesting? So here we have the law. Now let's see the transgression in verse 9. The transgression. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Right, James continues here. If you show partiality, again, if you show favoritism, or the way in the Hebrew is if you receive the face, that means to judge by outward appearances, then you are committing sin and you are convicted as a lawbreaker. Now again, how does showing favoritism within the church congregation become a matter of sin, transgression, or lawbreaking? Well, if the king's law says that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, then don't we sin when we elevate one person over another? Is this what we would do for ourselves? Would we want someone else to show partiality to not us? Right? Think about that for a moment. I know that's a complex way of saying it, but think, think about it. Uh, if, would we want someone else to be elevated above us in prominence or priority? Would we want the whole of the church's attention to be given to someone else and not us? No. And there's probably an issue of pride there, too. Uh, probably an issue that we uh, ought confess. If we were a poor man in a congregation and a rich man came in and they said, get out of that seat, we're giving it to the rich man. How do we think we would feel? You commit sin when you judge someone by their outward appearance and by what maybe they can do for you and give them priority over the lesser brother or sister in Christ. And let's make this real within the context of the church, something that really took place within the context of the church. Is it loving to tell a black brother or sister in Christ to step out of the way, sit in the back, go elsewhere because we need room for the white Christian? 
Again, I'm not saying that's something that's happened in our congregation, but I am saying that that is something that is something real that has happened in the history of the church. Is it loving to denigrate a person because of the color of their skin? That's a stain upon the history of the church. That's a stain upon denominations who who advocated for that way of life, for favoring one race over another. And here's the challenge for us today. What partiality are we blind to? Because it's easy to look back on prior prior generations and see their sins in right full color and see their sins in, in all that they that they do. It's much harder to look upon ourselves and see our own sins. Who have we failed to show love because we elevated someone else who had a better outward appearance? And may God show us such sinful patterns that we would quickly repent. And listen, in this I am suggesting that we may have blind spots. We may have blind spots. We may be ignorant of the ways in which we prioritize one group of people over another. And we must ward against such within our own congregation. There may be people who come in who by worldly standards are very prominent in the world around us. And, and we, we may uh, be tempted to give them prominence within the church solely because of their prominence in the world. But we have to realize, uh, as one commentator says, is that love for the neighbor requires that the poor be given as much respect and attention as the well-dressed and prominent. Right? We can substitute the poor for any class of person. Love for our neighbor is love for all. It requires that we love all. The royal law says we love without distinguishment, without partiality. And indeed, is this not something of the reality that Jesus gives us in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Right? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we expect this one, the Samaritan. Well, he's, he's of an other class, and he's someone we wouldn't even want to touch or have time with. And yet he's the one showing love. Not the priest, not the pastor, right? Not, not the religious person. Not the good Jew, the Samaritan. The royal law says we love everyone. And love for neighbor doesn't give us a pass because of who we are or who they are. And if you show partiality, church, you have sinned. Right? That's what he says there. James is very clear. If you show partiality, you are committing sin. And not only that, he says, and are convicted. What's that? That's a legal term, right? Convicted. Saying you're convicted under the law. And not only that, you're convicted by the law as transgressors. And that's an important word too. Because to be a transgressor is to be a lawbreaker. That's the worst. Uh, right? We can, we can uh, for instance, in our society, again, we make distinctions between someone who breaks the law kind of accidentally or those who um, break it intentionally. And we might give a pass to somebody who breaks something accidentally, right? The the officer who pulls you over for speeding may give you just a warning and say, uh, watch your speed next time, be careful, and go on your way, right? He may, he may show mercy. But for instance, if you're out here in front of the school, during the school zone, with the lights flashing, uh, right, warning you that to slow down, with the cop in the middle of the median with his lights on, 
again, as a warning, slow down and you go speeding through, do you think that that cop is going to have any mercy on you? I say not. And part of it there, too, is even, right, what's the consequence of that speeding? If you're going uh, 10 over and they pull you over, you're driving safe going 10 over, they pull you over, they'll probably give you a warning. If you're going 50 through the school zone with children crossing the road, there's a great consequence if you if you hit someone, right? So, so there's not going to be mercy. There's going to be justice, right? There's a heightened element, uh, element of consequence. To speed in the school zone is to be a transgressor. It's the worst of offenses. And listen, as we come to this issue of partiality, the scripture is full of flashing warning signs saying, don't be partial. Don't be a respecter of persons. Don't show favoritism. And uh, if we commit to sin, we can't say we didn't know the law. And even if we didn't know the specific instance of showing partiality, we have to know the law of love of neighbor. And we have to understand, right, that to show partiality is to break the law of the love of neighbor. And so we are transgressors, right? And that is the worst of offenses. We can accidentally sin, but to intentionally go against God's word, that takes a heightened, right? That's, that's full-on rebellion. And James doesn't stop here, though. He presses in deeper into the guilt. I want us to look at that in verses 10 through 11, the guilt. Uh, what is the guilt and the transgression? And he goes on in verse 10 and says, Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. Right, Jesus, uh, Jesus, James drives us deeper to understand that the sin of partiality is as serious a sin as any other. And indeed, he gives us two very serious sins, what we might call great heinous sins, uh, to help us understand that. Uh, but here we have a hypothetical person, right? Whoever keeps the whole law. Is there anybody who has kept the whole law but failed in one point? No. Uh, there, there's n- nobody who kept the whole law but failed in two points. Everybody has failed to keep the law, especially as we look in the history of the people of God, even the the great heroes, right? Even King David, uh, he failed in both of the sins that James will list. But he says here, if there was this hypothetical person who kept the whole law but failed in one point, he says, even this person has been guilty of all of the law. And so we understand uh, that, that the law is a unity. The law is a unity, and all of the law must be accomplished. And indeed, there is one person who has kept the whole law and didn't fail in any one point, and that is Jesus. Jesus came and did all that he did in order to accomplish all righteousness, uh, even being baptized, and you look at that in Matthew 3. But Jesus says uh, in Matthew 5, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, in verse 19, 519, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that to relax even one of the least of the commands of God is to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Right? We, can't, we can't lessen anything of God's command why? Because it comes from God, right? 
There is a unity to the law that it, it can't just be piecemealed. There's a unity to it because there's a unity to the lawgiver. Uh, and understand too, this is this is distinguished from the way that we uh, in our country have laws, right? Our law is not a unity because many different people contribute to the body of law. And so we might find that one portion of the law is especially egregious uh, or is something that we shouldn't obey. And that doesn't affect the rest of it. Uh, this is a, here's a fun, fun, uh, not fun, but uh, here's a fun uh, contract law for you. Often there's a, a provision included in there about severability, meaning that if one portion of the contract is found to be not in step with the law, it doesn't affect the rest of the, of the contract. So just that one portion can be struck, but the rest of the contract is still good and binding. Uh, and so the, the, because we understand, right? We understand that the law, the, the laws that we have in our country, uh, we may not know them all, and some of them may be unjust, and some of them may be not right, and, and some of them may be uh, foolish or silly. So we understand that we can sever the law. God's law, we can't because it comes from one who is good, that has a unity. Uh, we'll get more into that in a little bit. But even, um, so, so the law is the unity. And even pagans understand something of the unity of, of the law in that uh, Seneca, the Roman philosopher, said he who has one vice has them all. To fail in one point is to fail entirely. That's what James is saying, right? 10, in verse 10. But if you fail in one point, you've become guilty of all of it, all the law. There is a unity to the law. Because, let's see that. Again, the law of God is not, is not disunified, but is unified. Why? Verse 11 tells us. For he who said, <clears throat> do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. To fail one law is to be guilty of them all, because you have failed the one law giver. If it is true that God is holy and righteous and good, then all that he speaks is thus. And listen, understand, if he is God, if he is sovereign Lord, then we must listen to all that he says. We don't get to decide which laws of the sovereign Lord are to be kept or not. As Paul writes, Romans 7, 12, Romans 7, 12, so the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And this, uh, it, it doesn't matter which of the laws of God you commit to fail in one is to fail entirely. And this, friends, is the problem of sin. The issue is not that we sin here or there, right? The issue is not that we have little problems of sin in this one area, but we're good in another area. The issue is that we sin. The problem is that we are a sinner. You have failed God. And as you have disobeyed even one of the littlest of God's commands, you have rebelled against his reign and rule. To fail him in one area is to fail him. It's not like in school where you can get one question wrong on the test and you still get an A. 
To get one of God's laws wrong is to fail. As I sometimes like to say, D's get degrees, not in the kingdom of God. You have failed God. And don't make, uh, make the mistake here of James Jesus' two particular sins, right? He says, do not commit adultery and do not murder. Don't think that he is only limiting uh, this discussion, this issue to these two issues. He's not just saying it's not just the really big bad sins that are at issue here, right? Because again, he says, for the one who has said don't commit adultery also said do not murder. But guess what? The one who said don't bear false witness against your neighbor, which is lying, right? Which is lying also said, don't murder. Or the one who has said, don't covet what your neighbor has. Don't gossip. Has also said, do not murder. And if we murder, if we gossip, if we uh, lust, which again, Jesus explains in Matthew 5, that to look on a woman with lust is to commit adultery in our heart. Right, to do one of these things is to have become a transgressor of the law. And so we might ask, what about gluttony, which is a sin? What about pride, which is our favorite sin? Uh, maybe, maybe not your favorite sin, probably your favorite sin. Or what about your favorite sin? To sin is to be a transgressor of the law. And to sin is to be a rebel against the king over all creation, the sovereign Lord. To, be, to sin is to be under the judgment. And that's what I want us to see lastly in verses 12 through 13, the judgment. And so, and so he says, so, right, this is a conclusion. So speak and so act. And the Greek construction, uh, the Greek grammar here of these words is uh, it's a present, uh, present word, present verb, with continuing action. And so in other words, he's saying something like, keep on speaking and keep on acting. Keep doing these things. Understand, live in light of this truth. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And again, this law of liberty, we're to understand this. This is a law as interpreted and expounded upon by Jesus. This is the royal law, the law of the kingdom of God. We outlive, James writes, as ones who are to be judged. And remember, we will all face God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ, you will not suffer the final judgment. You will not suffer being cast away from the good presence of God under his holy wrath for all eternity. But also, don't think that that doesn't mean you won't be have some judgment, some accountability, that you won't have to answer for what you have done with your life. Be prepared to be judged by the law of liberty. Be prepared to receive what is due you for what you have done in the body. Again, Paul writes in Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. Romans 14, 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Oh, don't forget how the author of Hebrews exhorts us in Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Contrary to what may be popular in so many circles among those who profess to be Christians, God does care what you do. He does care about your obedience. He commands, and he expects you to obey his commands. And so he says, James concludes, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we are to understand this mercy is not as in a a legal sense of withholding something, uh, withholding judgment for someone. But he's saying, uh, for judgment is without mercy the one who has shown no mercy. Shown, being shown mercy is to show love, to show compassion. And if you show partiality, you're not showing love. You're not showing mercy or charity. For the one who has failed to love, there will be no compassionate mercy shown. There will only be the expectation of full and just judgment. And so as James finishes his argument about the sin of partiality, he points to this reality that, uh, of what sin is, that at its root, a, this sin of partiality, this sin of favoritism, is a failure to love. It's a sinful hatred. The one who elevates and gives priority to one person at the expense of another, whether because of wealth or social status, race or class, fails to love their neighbor. And as he has argued, to fail in one point of the law, to fail to obey one of the commands of God, is to break the entirety. It's to fail to the entirety. To be a lawbreaker, to transgressor, is a very serious matter because it's a rebellion against the sovereign Lord of Lords. And in this, there are two threads we must deal with. The first is, what judgment does await those who are in Christ Jesus, right? I've established that. We're going to give an account. So what is the accounting we will give? I think Paul gives us something of that in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. uh, The day being the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work has that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Right? The scripture tells us that there are those whose works are built of straw and stubble, and they are saved. Right? They are true believers, but they will receive no reward from their God in heaven for their works. They will survive singed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't let the world tell you differently. You will stand and give an account before your God. Your disobedience and your obedience will be highlighted in the court of heaven. And if you are in Christ, if you've truly believed, if you confessed Christ, you don't fear the final judgment. We don't have a, a spirit of fear. But we have the spirit of adoption that causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. You don't fear the fires of hell because you're not saved by your works. 
You're saved by Christ's work. Don't miss that important distinction. Don't miss what James instructs us here. Sin has consequence, even if it's not a final consequence, right? Even if it's not final judgment, sin still has consequence. If you are an object of God's mercy, he will show his goodness and glory in you. If you have been a beneficiary of the compassion of God, then that is the hope you hold to, not your works. Right? As James says at the end of verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. And thank God for that. God's mercy triumphs over our sin and the judgment that is due our sin. And perhaps it's best to encourage you with these words from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. 1 John 2, 1 through 6. Listen to this, because this is the heartbeat of what we've been discussing. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, beloved, walk in the way of Christ Jesus. Walk in the way of the love of God. Fulfill the royal law. You would do well. Don't show partiality. But we do have a second thread to tie. What are those who don't believe in Christ? What judgment awaits them? Revelation 21.8 tells us. Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And there is no escape. You too, who don't believe in Christ, will stand before God in judgment, and you will give an account for every sin you have committed. You have rebelled against the sovereign Lord, and on that day you will have no defense. The sins you have committed demand recompense, repayment. And so you will pay them. You have no propitiation. None to stand and plead your case. You live on your own in disobedience to God and you will stand alone and give account of your disobedience before God. And for your sin, you will be cast into the lake that burns with fire and sulfur for all eternity. You will suffer the full and just punishment of your sins. You will bear the wrath of God. And though here and now you might find reason to complain, God, isn't that all a bit too much? On that day, when you bow your knee before God, when your tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will know that the judgment of God is just and right and true and holy. And yet, there is a sacrifice for sin. There is one who bore the wrath of God for sinners. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to this place, lived the life you could not, died the death that you should, and rose from the grave to defeat sin and death. 
You can have the forgiveness of your sins. You can be at peace with God. You can have the hope of eternal life if you look to Christ Jesus and turn from your sins and trust in Him. You will be saved. The scripture says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So confess and believe today. Don't wait another day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you are given to repent. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. And it, believe me when I say this, it doesn't matter what age you are. You can be a young child and die tomorrow. You can be 100 years old and die tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Flee the coming wrath by fleeing to the one who can save you. And when you do, when the love of God springs up within you, love back, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, we love because he first loved us, and never forget that order. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, God, we are astounded by your love, for you loved a rebellious people. You loved the people who are indeed wretched sinners, in whom no good dwells. And yet in your mercy, you chose to save. Father, we who trust in Christ are ever grateful. And we pray, Lord, that if we have been guilty of the sin of partiality, if we have been a respecter of persons, God, by your Holy Spirit, convict us. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, help us to see as we go forward into the future to never act in that way again, to not sin against you, to not fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Father, we pray for those who don't know you, those who have not trusted in you, those who are not saved. God, we pray for your mercy upon them. We pray that you would give them your Holy Spirit to regenerate them, to give them new life. Father, that you would save them from the wrath to come. God, do that work which only you can do. And help us to be faithful to do that which you have commanded us to do. We thank you, Lord God, for your word this morning. And we pray this in the name of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.